Well, again, good morning, church. It's my delight to open God's rope for y'all. As we take a look and see what God has to say to us about Farrakhan. If you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and open it or go to Philippians chapter 2. We'll spend most of our time there and then to conclude, we'll end in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. While you go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2, let me just offer another word of prayer for you. Lord God, Father, we thank you that you alone are God, but that means that you know us completely. And because of just that one attribute, upon many of the other attributes there, Lord, we should fear you. Not in a way that we, especially if we're found in Christ, that causes us to recoil, to turn away from you, but but a fear that should cause us to be on our knees and worship too. So Lord, we pray this morning that those who are here that know your words would receive them and obey. And even those that don't yet know you, Lord, that if they're your, they would hear your voice and too obey. We thank you, God, for Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. If you run consistently, you'll become stronger, you'll build more endurance, you'll even be able to go on a 5K run when your friend invites you to do so. I don't see Alex, but Alex, sorry, man, maybe next time. If you, if you ride a bike regularly, it's said that you will become to enjoy it more. Not only will you enjoy it more, but you will be able to ride further, and longer distances. And you may be able to hang with the cool kids like Pastor Dennis and Brother Lloyd or Sister Takor. And let's say if you're studying a particular discipline, let's say nursing for instance, and if you learn how to think critically as a nurse, you may one day be able to pass the National Council Licensure Exam, RN, to become a registered nurse. Shouts out to our sister Michaela, who just passed that test. If you practice healthy eating and you exercise, it's said that your body and your mind will function better. You'll be able to fight heart disease, diabetes, obesity, high blood pressure. You'll be able to get better sleep. If you're a thief and you continue stealing, eventually you'll be caught. You'll probably go to trial and then you'll end up in prison. Well, what do all these examples have in common, friends? Well, it's fruit. I'm not talking about apples or bananas. No, no, I'm talking about fruit. The effect or consequence of a particular action or operation. So now this morning, we're going to come and we're going to think about what, it, what kind of fruit can we bear from fearing the Lord. When we think about fruit, and especially in a Christian context, 
we often think about what good works the person produces, what good works the others Also, too, when you think about, about Christians and you think about fruit, you often think about what are the fruits of the Spirit? And, and if this person is a believer and they have God's Spirit within them, what kind of evidence do we see there? So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the Apostle Paul lists a couple of fruits of the Spirit. You got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But again, does the Bible have anything to say about the fruit of fairing the Lord? Well, yes, it does. So this entire summer, if you're visiting with us today, just want to tell you that this entire summer, we as a church have been going through and studying the biblical theme of fairing the Lord. And we're going to continue to do so this morning. If you're taking notes, we've got a good memory. You just want to remember something to hold on to today. The main point of this sermon today is the fruit of fearing the Lord is obedience that leads to holiness. Or it could be said, the fruit of fearing the Lord is obedience that produces holiness. So let's go ahead and look at Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1 through 13. And then what I'll do is I'll reread 12 and 13 because that's where we're going to spend our time this morning as we see what God has to say about uh, fearing him and the obedience of produced him. Chapter 2 of Philippians verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by, by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
the first thing we're going to look at underneath this point, which is the fruit of fearing the Lord is obedience. We'll see that in verse 12. In the first part of verse 12, 12a, we're going to take a look and see, well, when, when is it that we're supposed to obey? In the second part of verse 12, 12b, we'll see how and who are we to And then in verse 13, we'll take a look and see why. So again, the when. When should we obey? Well, it's interesting that in verse 13, Paul said and tells the Philippians that not only should they obey when he's present, but much more when he's absent. Well, why is it that Paul is speaking to the Philippians in this way? Perhaps it was that the Philippians would only be present and correct when Paul, the main apostle, and when he was not around, there was disunity. They had they, they weren't living and working out their salvation. They weren't living out the gospel. They weren't being kind to one another, and they weren't doing the things that they should have been doing when Paul was around. And we see some of that, you know, in this letter. If you look back at you don't even have to go there, but in, in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul is telling the Philippians to, man, remember, live a life that's worthy of the gospel, right? He's telling them that, and he says it again in verse 27, whether I come to see you or whether I'm absent, like, let me get a report that all of you are living lives that's worthy of the gospel, that's commendable to Christ, that you're a witness to others. And again, this, this, this letter that Paul is writing to them, it's one of the prison epistles, right? So there's a couple of epistles, that, a couple of letters that he writes in prison, and this is one of them. So Paul is in there, trying to get the word back that, man, you know, the Philippians, the believers there, they're, they're believing lies of others. They're not as charitable. They're not as loving as they once were, um, especially when, when, when you're not around. They, they, they act as though they don't know Christ. So I think this is an obvious, there's an obvious answer to this question. When are we to obey? Well, it's always, right? And Paul tells them here, the same thing for us now, is that we're always to obey. Whether it's Pastor T in the room, or whether it's another brother or sister in the room, we should obey. And regardless of whether, whether man is in the room, we should obey because God knows us all. He knows us completely. He's always watching. And that's the reason why Paul exhorts the Philippians to always obey. You know, as you sit here this morning, just think to yourself as, as, as best you can, searching your hearts. Are there times where you've ever, in, 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 a, in a time or space, acted one way when leadership was around or when you wanted to influence another person, but as soon as you left the church or left from around each other, you may have acted totally different. What would your coworkers say about you if Pastor Babatunde were to ask them, how is this person? Would they say this person lives in such a way that they don't even understand because of the way you love them, because of the way you care for them? Well, brothers and sisters, this is how we should live our lives. We should always live our lives 
as though God is watching because he did it. So the when, the when is always. We should always be obeying. Now the how and who. So in the second part of this verse, it says here to obey, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. So the second part now, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what is going on here? Talking about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you, 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 your ears may be alert now. You're like, man, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that we're to work for our salvation. Well, no, let's read the text again. It says, it says, work out your salvation. Right? Work out your salvation. You're not working for it, you're working it out. Right? So we gotta remember that. Because that one, that one, that one word there could change the entire thing, right? To make this make it seem like we're working for salvation. This is some kind of work-based theology. That's not what Paul is talking about. Right? And now even salvation, some of us, maybe many of us here know what salvation is, but I'm sure there's some among us now who may be even watching online who don't know what salvation is, right? Some, all of us have at one point been disobedient to God, right? We've rebelled against him, the God who has created everything, the God who has created us. We have not trusted him. We have decided to say, you know what, I'm going to do me with our entire lives. And there are people that still live like that today. And the thing about it is, though, man, in Romans, right, God says that the wages of sin is death. So our sin, because of our sin, we should die. And because of our sin, God is going to punish us. And punish sin by death. The thing about it is, though, is we can't pay for our own sin. Right? We, we cannot pay for our own sin because we already committed it. So God, in his mercy, in his kindness, in his grace, sent one, his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Right? We just read about it, actually, in, second, in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, where it says, Christ, who was equal with God, counted it nothing to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the point of a servant. He was found in human form, you know. This is fully God, fully man. In human form, he was found. And he was obedient to God the Father, our example of obedience. And it says, even to the point of death. Death of the cross. That's interesting phrase of language. One could say, well, even to the point of death. But then why emphasize to the point of death of the cross? Well, the cross was one of the most wickedest, terrible kind of deaths that there were during that time. I mean, the cross, that crucifixion was for murderers, insurrectionists, thieves, but the Son of God committed no such crime. The Son of God committed no such sin against God. He was completely obedient all the time to God the Father. So therefore, he was the only one that could die for our sins. He is the one that we are to obey. He is the one that we are to trust. Because he lived a righteous life. And in him living a righteous life, 
and going to the cross and dying for our sins, it would be terrible and sad if he only just died and stayed in the grave. But that's not the case. Three days later, some of his disciples, women, went to the tomb. They found nobody. They asked, where is my Lord? The angels told him he has ascended. He is not here. He rose from the grave three days later and went to God the Father, showing and proving that his death on the cross defeated sin, defeated death. It was pleasing to God the Father. He accepted it. Amen. He accepted it not only on, not only did he accept it, but it was for us. For all who would turn away from their sin, stop disobeying God, and turn towards this Jesus that was hung on the cross is now risen. If we would turn to this Jesus, oh, we can have eternal life with God. We can have a relationship with God. Man, what is it, man or woman, that you're holding on to today that is not allowing you to turn toward the Savior? Man, he, he bled and died on a cross for you. He lived the life that you couldn't live. And all he says is, come with your filth and come with your sin, and I will give you my righteous life. Why is it that he wouldn't turn to heaven? Why is it that you would not obey him? And so, brothers and sisters, for those who have believed this truth, this is the salvation we're talking about. We've been saved by grace through faith in Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians, just so we're not confused by his language here, in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, it tells us clearly that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. And it's not of our own works, so that no one may boast. Ain't none of us about to boast for dying on no cross, because we didn't do it. You know? It's like that old song, were you there when they crucified my Lord? We were not there when they crucified him. And even if we were there, we would have been just like the first apostles. We would have ran and hit it ourselves. We would have been what would have happened to us. But we were not there. So now this salvation is, is what we're supposed to be working out. So we've talked a little bit about this. Who is this that we're supposed to obey? Well, if you look back in the previous verses um, of chapter 2, we'll take a look here at 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name. So, that the name, so at, the, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is it. That is the one that we should be obedient to. That's the who, right? Jesus Christ is our Lord, and we are called to be obedient to him. Now, how is this done? So, in the context of the letter to the Philippians, Paul is exhorting, he's, he's challenging, he's telling the Philippians to work this out by, by being unified and work this out in humility, right? That's what he's telling them. He's like, yo, 
humble yourself. Because some of y'all are out there living and doing things for yourself and not even worrying about other people. That's not the case. It shouldn't be that way. Right? He's like, if he didn't even put himself up on the mantle to say, this is the example. He went straight to Christ. He said, look, let's take a look at Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself to be a servant. He served us. He served us not only by, by, by coming and, and taking on human form and then counting a party with God not something to be wrath, but he died. We just talked about it. He died on the cross. So remember that when you're thinking, Philippians, about how it is that you're serving them. And now, brothers and sisters, let's, let's, let's take this a step further to Anacostia River Church. How is it that we should be living our lives and working out the gospel that we can show this evidence that we know the Savior that let him die for us? Well, first, I have some personal applications. One, Bible reading about Bible interpretation. Some of these things that I'm going to say are very familiar. You've heard them said before. But man, it's not a, it's not a neglect to remind us over and over again, even to remind myself of it. It's a Bible intake, right? Psalm 19, 7 through 11, reads this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commands of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is clean, endures Brothers and sisters, why are we at times not in God's word? It says that the word is perfect. It says it makes wise the simple. It says it can cause the heart to rejoice. It says that his word is pure. Another personal aspect of working out your salvation is prayer. Right? So 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. I know it sounds, it sounds almost impossible. I've read it time and time before. I'm like, I can't pray without season. I don't even do that now. Pray without season. But man, Paul is saying that we should be in such dependence on God that we're always praying for everything, all the time. It's not a right time not to pray or a right time to pray, but we should be praying all the time just to show our dependence on God. Repenting of sin. Man, are we living lives that show that we're repenting of sin? Or is it that we just sit back and kind of, again, coddle our sin, sit with it, and treat it like a pet? Or are, are we confessing sins to God? And if sinning against one another, are we confessing sins to one another? I'm afraid to say sometimes we probably don't do that as often as we should. We don't. But I pray 
that we would start to be a people if you're not already. If you're doing that, man, amen. But if we're not, we will be a people that would be confessing our sin to God regularly. And if we're sinning against one another, to each other regularly, asking for forgiveness. There is forgiveness for those who confess their sins. A couple places that you can look at this for repenting of sin is Proverbs 28.13 or Acts 3.19. Or Matthew 3 8. Are we trusting the Lord? Man, this is challenging for me because I'm so at times prone to trust in other things. Trust in my finances, trust in my job, right? Trust in my comfortable life that I have. I don't want that to be shaken up. But are we trusting the Lord with everything? Whether he calls us into Anacostia or out of Anacostia, whether we're here for a season or not, our hands open, willing to let God do whatever it is that he will do. Are we truly trusting in God? And this one, this one man that uh, we all should do with all these others. But are we attending Sunday service? Again, how are we working out our salvation? Is Sunday service priority to us? Do some people just think that this is a place where we just kind of come and, you know, hear the word and leave out, or it's not really that important. I can catch it up on a podcast later, um, or I could even watch it later on. And don't get me wrong, I know we're living in a pandemic and I'm thankful for all the ways that um, technology has allowed us to be able to, to gather virtually. But brothers and sisters, if I, if, if I confess, and this isn't a command from the Lord, but if I confess, I like gathering in person. The, the virtual has been hard for me, bro. Um, I love seeing you guys face and speaking with each one of them. So let's attend Sunday service. Let's make it a priority to come to church on Sunday. Right? We'll get down to it a little bit later, but you know, you may not know this or, or maybe it's something that you forgot, but God has given all you guys gifts. And those gifts are not for you to hoard for yourselves. Those gifts are so that we can build each other up into Christ. Are we going to do that? And don't get me wrong, again, I know we're in a pandemic, I know situations are sensitive. You know, I know that people that want to be here but can't, especially with young children and all of those things. But if you can be here, man, I want to be able to be built up by your gift. Can you bring your gift so I can be built up in the Lord? Man, the days and the times are wicked. I need encouragement. I need to be built up. I need the gift that God has given me to build me up. And so, and that's what we need of each other. So for Sunday service, man. So now corporately, a little bit about and that will segue down to up to corporate. How can we do, how can we work on our salvation corporate? Well, you can start by serving. If you're here and you know you've been here for some time and you're not serving, well, my question is why not? Right? Why not? We have deacons and deaconess here that you can reach out to and figure out my where can I get plugged in? So our deaconess of member care, Don Cole, you can find her and figure out where it is that you can plug in and get to meet new members or something that you want to do or 
you know, you just want to be involved with caring for members. Or you can talk to our sister deaconess, Jennifer Zantia, who is the deaconess of greeting. Would you want to greet people and welcome people into the church? Or you can talk to Brother Lloyd or our Brother William for sound ministry. Do you want to serve somewhere in sound? Even if you don't know anything about sound, do you want to learn? Again, why are we not serving in these places? And then as you think about the music ministry, you can speak to brothers and sisters you've seen here on the stage this morning. And you can ask them, man, is there any way I can serve you guys? Is there any way that I can be a part of this ministry? Brothers and sisters, let's figure out ways to serve. We got Hannah Baker, our deaconess of community development. How is it that you can serve her? Where may she need help? Or again, even Ashley Davenport, who is our new director of neighborhood outreach. In what ways can, can we serve in these ministries in the church? Again, it's about building up one another. Again, it's about, it's about thinking about other people's interests more than our, our own. How are we working out our salvation? Hospitality. Didn't we hear much about this at the members meeting on Thursday for those who were there in person or online? We, they had some here, don't get me wrong, who are very well connected when it comes to hospitality. We have others not, that are not so well connected. May we be a people that will reach out to the ends, those who are not well known, those who are on the outskirts, maybe reach out to them and bring them into the fold. If we got things going on and we see the same faces at every single function, but we don't see some other brothers and sisters there, yo, know, we got a directory. And that thing has all your contact information. Go in that directory. If you don't got it, reach out to Abby and she will get you a directory. We got it digitally. You can have it on your phone, on your computer. Reach out to brothers and sisters you don't know. Like, love on people like that. Let's be hospitable. Let's meet new people. Let's welcome new people. Man, one thing about this church that I, I would hear often is that, man, I love the way that you guys love new people. Well, let's continue to do that. Right? Let's continue to do that. Man, the Bible calls us to these things. We see it in 1 Peter 4 9, Romans 12 13, Galatians 6 10. I'll give you some other examples of hospitality. Invite somebody to lunch today. If you're going out to lunch today and you got some plans, invite somebody out. Take a look around the congregation, somebody that you don't know well, somebody you don't know at all, really, and invite them out to lunch with people going to grab lunch. Invite people to dinner. Invite people to dinner at your home. Get to know one another. Married couples, invite singles over. Singles, invite married singles, invite married couples over. We should be living as though we're family, y'all. I know these words are hard sometimes because like, oh man, like we're, we're family, but like we're like an estranged family. But how do we change that? How do we change that? Let's start to press into each other. Let's start to learn one another and build one another. Let me tell you, it's going to be awkward. 
There are going to be some people that you may not really vibe with all the way, but it's like that in our natural family. Did that stop you from loving or caring for your brother or sister? That's your blood? It doesn't. Well, then why should it not be much more for those who have the blood of Christ in them? I just don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand this. And believe me, I need to work on these things too. Man, yo, single people or married people who don't have kids, offer to babysit, yo. I know this thing right here, oh man, you're like, man, like that's all married people want. It's a blessing. Okay? It's a blessing when you babysit. Now let's go back to the scripture. It says here, how are you going to live in such a way that you're not worried about your own interest, but the interest of others? It ain't these descriptions to say that. It's not me. I'm not saying this. You need to call out for me, probably. But I'm saying the scriptures tell us to think more highly of others than we do about ourselves. How are we living this out? How are we living out? How are we working on our salvation? How is it that we're doing this? Brothers and sisters, now let's think about how we're doing this. Let's think about ways, again, the directory. I think all the children towards the rear of the directory are listed there. You can see what families have how many kids, and then you can be like, man, yo, I don't know. It might be a challenge. They got three or four. It might be a challenge. How, then you start to think, not about your own interest, but the interests of others. How is this brother and sister able to get out, spend time together? How are they able to love each other when they have all these children to take care of? Brothers and sisters, let's figure out ways to outdo each other in doing good. Why not? That's what the scriptures call us to. That's what Christ calls us to. Why not? How do you take this into the world? Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to quickly run through some fellowship. How are we living this out in fellowship? You got small groups joining. You got black groups joining. PSA team, sign up for them, join them. We got men's ministry, men join them. If you're not part of the men's ministry yet, please join them. It'll be a blessing to your soul. Women, they have a women's ministry. If you're not part of it, join them. It will be a blessing to your life. Fellowship, right? In the early church in Acts, the apostles what devoted themselves to or, or the the believers devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, breaking bread, fellowship. Let's do the same things that were happening in the early church. Now, how do we take this out into the world? Usually, I think it's evangelism, right? So, in what ways, right? Scriptures tell us to evangelize, see, in Mark 16, 15, that Christ told his followers to go out and proclaim the good news to all creation. You see a command also in Matthew 28, very familiar to us here, to go out and make disciples, teaching them all that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Coffee and Convo, Monday, 8 o'clock. Dr. Bautuna mentioned it. I don't know everybody be able to, may be able to make that. I get it. But if you are, Think about making it. I know Monday mornings is challenging for some people, but some people have it off. But some people have it off and be like, man, I'm not a, I'm not a morning person. It's my day off. I'm not going to do it. Once again, you're thinking about the interests of others yourself. Think about the interests of others. If you can't make that, 
there's a Friday bi-weekly evangelism. Think about making that. I think that starts around 6 or 6.30. Look out for information in our newsletter from the church that has these things posted there. And if you don't see it again, you can reach out to Abby and she'll be able to get all that information together for you. And if those don't work for you, brothers and sisters, don't let that stop you from sharing the good news of Christ. Get together with other brothers and sisters and think about setting up your own evangelism outreach. It don't gotta really be something that was developed here like Coffee and Combo. Coffee and Combo started with two brothers going out, didn't know what they was doing, and making coffee and sharing the gospel. And now we have Coffee and Combo. You can start your own thing. Find times with others that may work for you. You get out on the block and let's share Christ with people, right? We want, we want Anacostia to come in to be with us, right? Well, we got to go out to Anacostia and we got to share the gospel with those who are in Anacostia. We got to love on them, right? We got to invite people to church. But if we're not going out, we're not inviting people to church, how are we going to come? Then we look around and say, man, the church is not going to look like the community. Well, what, what efforts are we doing to press into the community? What are we doing to get ourselves out there and to love people, and to get to know people, and to invite people. <clears throat> Workplace. And I heard a wonderful testimony this Thursday about our dear brother Yanka, who's sitting down there in front. And because of, because of the faithfulness of a brother William, five years, pursuing this brother for five years, some of y'all don't like five minutes we give up. Five minutes you'll be like, man, this brother won't listen to me. He keep partying. I keep telling him to turn away. He ain't listening, man. I'm done. Hey, Lord, chat, I evangelize. Wow. Well, well, William said, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be obedient to Christ. I love Yanka. I see him going somewhere that's going to lead to death. I'm going to bring the promise of hope to them. I'm going to keep loving them. I'm going to keep pursuing them. I'm going to keep sharing Jesus with them. I'm going to keep praying for them. And y'all, by God's grace, you're repenting of the sins and belief. Man, our family and friends. Man, think about our sister Christella. Think about the ways that she's loved Anthony. Think about the ways that she has prayed for her husband, Anthony. Think about the ways that she has invited him over and over again to church on Sunday. Think about the ways that she's always brought her children to church. Sometimes Aunt may be there with her, sometimes he may not be there with her. But there was one moment he came and he heard the gospel. There was one conversation at a place where we were gathered and he heard the gospel. And he too, Repentant of the sin of the places trust in Jesus. And you need that kind of Working out your salvation will bring God glory. It will. It will, man. I'm telling you. So whether it's, it's five years or whether we don't even know how long it was that Christella was doing these things for her husband and loving him and caring for him. Whether it's five years or whether it's 10 or whether it's 20, may we be obedient to working out our salvation in such a way 
will see many more at the end come into our service, right? Many more turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. And don't you want to be a part of that work? It's amazing that God even allows us to be a part of that work. And then there's a piece there, right? In verse 12, it says, work out your salvation with spirit and trembling. Well, man, what is being meant there? Again, I tried to say that, man, I don't think it's just a fair and trembling as Christians. We shouldn't be fair and trembling the Lord, but we know him. Right? He knows us. We uh, have nothing to fear for salvation is ours in Christ. So I don't think it's one that makes us afraid, but I think the fear and trembling that we're talking about is one that we've been learning about Sunday after Sunday. It's about this reverence and this, a better word, awe-ness of God. This God that we've been talking about this morning knows you from, it says that he called you before the world was founded. Before he created the world, he called you. Right? Before, before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. I know at times, like, we know these things, um, and it's almost just kind of so lofty, so high, I won't even understand it all. But that's what causes to fear of God. For he knows, we learned last week from our brother Matt in Psalm 139 that he knows you're sitting, you're rising. He knows, he knows you completely. If this God knows you completely and fully, we should live before his face in fear. We should live before his face in awe and reverence. This is not like you coming and knowing and saying, man, well, Brother Michael knows me a certain way, right? Or Sister Hannah knows me a certain way. No, no, We're coming before God who knows your every step, who has all your days accounted for, who knows the good works that he has set before you completely. Let us come before this God and fear and tremble. There's one commentator who writes it this way. He said, God is not doing the good works for the Philippian believers as a parent might do a child's homework. But instead, God is making it possible for them to work by giving them access to the power to accomplish what he's asking. Parents would give a child a good dinner, a quiet place, free from distraction, and encouraging comments about the previous good work. Thus, bringing them into a secure and encouraged environment with the proper tools that student can now do his or her own. So it's God who, yeah, he's working in us, but he's not doing the work for us. All the things that I've mentioned in our applications for us to go out and do. But God will work in you. And yet, again, these things are, it's a mystery how all that works, but God is working in us to produce good works for his good pleasure, right? And so the why is because, again, God is working in you. To will, give you the desire, to work, give you the power, to do what pleases him, to do what is pleasurable to him, right? It's God is doing it. So in, 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 the same, in the same letter of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, Christ is going to bring all your good works to completion in the day of Christ. The 
good work that he's begun in you, oh, he's going to bring it to completion. Best believe that. Even if we fumble, even if we have the ball and we drop it, it's still going to come to completion because God is at work in you. And again, going back to Ephesians 2, the end of 2, 10, verse 10, around 10, that we were created as workmanship in Christ, right? Again, because there's good works that he has set out before you, right? These things are going to bring glory to God. Man, they're going to be beneficial for us. They're going to cause us to grow in holiness, but they're for God's glory. So that people, we, will look and praise God. So that people outside of the church that don't know Christ will praise God. And some may repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. So let us live in that way, knowing that God is always watching. That takes us to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. As we've talked about holiness, as we've talked about obedience, as we've talked about working on our salvation. If we're doing these things, and if it's again God working in us for his will and for his good pleasure, we will indefinitely produce holiness. Right? Holiness will be the product of our obedience to God. So there's point two on top of the many points that I've already given you. Holiness is the product of fear and glory. So we've talked about this obedience, this obedience that leads to holiness. In this letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul here is restating, reiterating the call to a holy living. Right? And this is all set in promises in a couple of verses before in 6.14. I'll, I'll read 6.14 through 7.1. And then 7... Chapter 7, verse 1 is what we'll be. We'll be just spending the rest of our time. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelief. For what partnership has righteousness with the law? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with you? Or what portion does a believer share with the unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. For God says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and separate from them, says the Lord. And touch nothing unclean. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So we, the temple of the living God, as Paul is writing this letter, or as Paul is penning this to, to the Corinthians, quick overview, the Corinthian church was going through a lot of immorality, a lot of dysfunction. 
Paul comes and visits them. He's in pain. He's not seeing. Again, even like in, in, in Philippi, he's hearing about them, but now he sees them, and they're just not living lives worthy of the gospel. Right? They're they're doing things that are dealing with idols. They're they're living lives that are sexually immoral. There's a defilement of their body and their spirit. There's even a place in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul is saying, man, you're taking in prostitutes and you're and the prostitute you're taking in is like if you're taking Christ with the prostitute. He says, do you not know that God resides in your body and that you are the temple of the living God? Brothers and sisters, how many of us this week have lived in light of us being the temple of the living God? If, if you believe, and if, if, what you, if what we read, which is true, and you believe it, in what ways have you dishonored, defiled your body, knowing that Christ is living within you? Take a time to think about that. Let's take a time to sit underneath that teaching from the Apostle Paul. Christ dwells in our body. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. God dwells within us. From the time we believe until the time we're called home, we are temple of the living God. The same thing he's trying to exhort the Corinthians to. He's like, look, look, turn away from the idol worshiping, turn away from the sexual immorality, turn away from all of those things because God dwells with you. And not only that, he gets, in verse 18, he gets personal. He says, no, I'm going to be your father, and you're going to be my sons and daughters. That's how intimate God gets with us. So therefore, because we have these problems, let's cleanse ourselves from all sorts of defilement that will defile the body and the spirit. So what are some things that defile the body and the spirit? You don't have to go there. But I'll read from Galatians chapter 5. I'll start at verse 19 and read to 21. Now the works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, Orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm sure Paul, in his mind, thinking about these things, and he's letting them know, he's letting the Corinthians know, man, if you continue in this way, how is it again, going back to Philippians, that you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling? How is it that you're working out your salvation as though you have truly tasted and known the goodness of the Lord? If you're living in such a way that your body is defiled, that your spirit is defiled, and you're not living holy. So Paul calls the Corinthians to holy living. He says, man, live holy. Live holy. Why? In reverence and in, in, in fear of God. Because again, God knows everything. He knows our hearts. He knows, he knows 
all that we're doing all the time. He knows our motivation behind what it is that we do. All of it, he knows. So because of awe and reverence for God, we should turn away from defiling our bodies, turn away from defiling of the spirit. So Paul here is reminding them that the thing about it is that when you're living in unrepentant sin, when you're dealing with sin, God has, God, God, there's no place, sin, God can't boast. So even as Christians, if we're dealing with sin and unrepentant sin, fellowship is broken. Right? So Paul is telling the Corinthians there, look, there may be broken fellowship, but guess what? It can be restored. That's the thing about it. It can be restored. God is, is, is waiting, open arms to receive those who, even though we fall, even though we sin, he's waiting to receive you back to himself. If only you would repent and trust in Jesus. So he's telling them, this fellowship has been broken. It can, it can be restored. Just stop doing the things that are following the body and the spirit. So he said, man, dear friends, right? Beloved, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that follows the body and spirit. Let us live towards holiness in obedience because we fear the Lord. Let us live in obedience that leads to holiness because we fear the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good to us. That again, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And even as believers now, we struggle with sin and we'll continue to struggle with sin until you call us home to yourself, Lord. And so, even in the ways that we struggle with sin, God, we ask that you would give us hearts of obedience so that we would turn back to you as you have open arms waiting for us. And that our obedience to you, God, would have us live in such a way that it would produce holiness. And may we do all these things, oh God, because you know us better than anybody will ever know us. And so, for that, let us do it. In fear. So, Jesus, let me pray. Amen. Amen.